nine, twelve, ten, twenty-eight, two, twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. I am David Rothkopf. I am your host for this, uh, our weekly therapy session where we bring everybody together to help you get through the trauma that is living in America today. Um, none of us are trained psychologists. <laughs> um, on the other hand, we're all deeply disturbed. So that, you know, it works together. I'm joined as I am every Thursday. Comes out in the wash. <laughs> that does. I'm joined, as I am every Thursday, by Ryan Goodman of Just Security and NYU Law School here in New York. And then in Washington, uh, we have two of our other regulars, uh, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown Law School and Ed Luce of the Financial Times. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, David. Um, So um, usually what I do on these shows, because as all you know, is I'll start and I'll say, hey, Ryan, I've got a question. But there are just too many things happening, and I can't figure out which one to start with. So why don't you start with something? <laughs> um, uh, I could start with the... It was just like today. So many things happened. Yeah, I think the most recent thing in the last three hours, two no, hours. No, the most recent thing is Rick Perry resigned. If you're taking yeah. Thursday afternoon when we're taping that. Um, the uh, non-ceasefire... Pause in uh, Syria by the Turks. Yes, good. Okay, That's so yeah, a good place yeah. to start. The president said it will save millions of lives, and presumably he has saved the world with his what he called unorthodox um, right s- strategy. Right, what people have been trying to do for civilizations. <laughs> yes, well, ever yeah. since U.S. Yeah. Uh, ties to ancient Rome, which That's he established right. yesterday. So um, I tweeted something to this effect, which is I think that um, Defense One, which carried the story, was right to put the word ceasefire in quotation marks, and I hope other media outlets do the same thing, um, because that's not really what this seems like it is. And Marco Rubio, uh, so just to bring in people from different uh, perspectives, said something to the effect of, it's not a ceasefire, it's just Turkey announcing that you have 100 plus some hours to... uh, evacuate or we'll kill you 120 hours right uh so five days to evacuate and after which we'll kill you um and it's basically to wipe the area out of uh, people otherwise a term for that depending on, on the exact specifics could be a form of ethnic cleansing well it, it's a good term for it the president of the united states said the area had to be cleaned out that's right and some uh ambassador samantha power quote tweeted him and said the president uh has just made a statement uh in favor of ethnic cleansing so that's just in the last few hours. Last hey, few hours. ethnic cleansing, Rosa. Did you have that on your bingo card for this week? <laughs> well, that's permanently on my bingo card, David, because yeah. you know my view of the world. Is, you know, <laughs> I always assume that we're yeah. going to have a little ethnic cleansing in any given week. But, yeah, I really think actually we we could be facilitated. I didn't know it was going to be facilitated by the United States. That part was not on my card. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think we should sell that. I think that's something Deep State Radio should sell, the Rosa Brooks bingo card. Um, <laughs> and, and mug. <laughs> and, and a mug of calamities. Um, I'm, everybody would want one. Anyway, what, 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 what's your take on this, Rosa? Well, it's, it's, it's the same, same as Ryan's. It's, I think ceasefire gets put in quotations. I, I mean, I should say we don't quite know what's going on. Um, the worrying, particularly worrying aspect of this is that the supposed ceasefire involves the U.S. Um, I think the term they used was facilitating or expediting getting the Kurds out of there. The Kurds, of course, have said, fuck off, um, you know, no deal. So, you know, speaking of ethnic cleansing, well, what exactly does this mean that we're going to do? Are we, we're going to, we're going to push the Kurds out of there. We're going to, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a nightmare. It's, it's not obviously a diplomatic victory for the U S either when, when Pence uh, went off to 
Turkey to meet with Erdogan. Erdogan, Erdogan said, fuck off, <laughs> I'm meeting with you. <laughs> so um, we have managed uh, in the space of a of, of very short period of time. I'm trying to remember, wow, it's the time, time. It's, it's getting harder to sort of evaluate how much time is passing. So I can't decide. It feels like it's been three weeks or 20 minutes. But but um, I think it's only been about a week we have managed to uh, destroy U.S. relationships with both Turkey and the Kurds, which is pretty impressive uh, in terms of the the speed of devastation from a sort of diplomatic perspective, even leaving even leaving aside potential ethnic cleansing. Um, so it's this is not likely to make the situation better. Um, it is entirely possible that it will make the situation worse, although the situation is already so horrifically awful um, that, you know, we're sort of the difference between being 200 feet down in a hole and 210 feet down in a hole, I suppose, unless you're the Kurds, in which case it matters enormously. Well, you know, a couple of things. Uh, Brian said that it, ceasefire should be in quotes. The Turks actually said, don't call it a ceasefire. Right. Um, and uh, Rosa said that the Kurds said, fuck off, which some Kurds did say. A Kurdish general said, no, we'll, we'll follow this. But essentially, the punchline is that the Turks got everything they wanted because they want this land cleansed of Kurds. Uh, they've given the Kurds essentially five days to get out of Dodge, uh, after which they will resume killing them again, which was a Marco Rubio's point. Um, and uh, this essentially will annex a certain amount of northern Syria into the control of Turkey. Um, and uh, what will happen to the Turks after the Kurds after five days is unclear. However, the United States, just for this promise of a five-day break, has said to the Turks, no sanctions. And by the way, you're a great NATO ally. We love you. And you'll always be, you'll always be our bestie in the region, and 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 you know that's where it is. But Ed, you know, you wrote a piece um, talking a little bit about how this benefits the Russians, and of course, this benefits the Russians, the Turks, the Iranians, the Assad regime, and ISIS. Uh, the only people it doesn't benefit are the Kurds, who are our allies in that group. Um, and us. But perhaps you would like to elaborate. Indeed. I mean, for, for, for America, um, well, for the Kurds, this is, a, this is a catastrophe. I mean, as you say, if, if they've not moved after five days, then Trump has given Erdogan the green light, not that he needs any green lights from Trump, to clean up in the Kurdish-held border areas, um, the terrorists, as Erdogan calls them. Um, so it's a catastrophe, catastrophe for the Kurds. It's a moral catastrophe for America to be uh, uh, helping Greenlight and give its blessings to um, what, what, what will be, uh, and already is, an ethnic cleansing of America's closest um, military ally in the, in, in, on the ground there in the Middle East. Um, and for Trump then to call it a great day for civilization. It's also a strategic uh, catastrophe. Well, it's a, a strategic defeat for the United States, entirely self-inflicted, um, an unforced error that we still um, haven't fully understood that does uh, ultimately sort of, it, it's, as I think I put in my column, it's like in chess terms, handing Russia a bishop, saying, here's a bishop, you can have it. Um, and uh, undercutting America's word, its reputation, um, its metal as a power in the Middle East and beyond, I think, globally. So I think that this is a, uh, th this is a, a really, really dark moment that we're in um, because we have many Republicans, not all, but many Republicans, um, a, a very honorable, so far honorable exception of, of Mitt Romney and one or two others, um, accepting Trump and Pence and Pompeo's um, black is white explanation of what is happening in the world. And that's what happens when authoritarianism starts to win, is people start saying the opposite of the truth. And that is a measure of how much control the leader has over, has over their minds, that they can get them to say black is white when, when they know the opposite. And so I think this is a, this is a, 
degenerating, very dark picture that's just giving giving me viscerally very very unpleasant feelings about about the world we're living in. Totally agree. Don't want to minimize this. This is you know uh, uh, as big a an act of foreign policy malpractice as we've seen um, uh, in many many years. Um, and the Trump administration is guilty of many such acts. Um, and, you know, it it seems quite clear that this will lead to a strengthening of bad forces in the region, a significant weakening of the United States, and not just a weakening of the U.S. and the region, but everywhere, because every ally of the United States is going to say, will Trump stand by us? Will the U.S. stand by us? Whose side are they on? And we haven't even gotten into the issues of Trump's economic ties to the Turks, uh, Mike Flynn's ties to the Turks, Rudy Giuliani's ties to the Turks, and the fact that the relationship between Trump and the Turks is one of those international relationships that's substantially compromised by his economic ties, which could lead us in a variety of directions, given the other things that have happened recently. And I think we should have sort of a big like one of those wheels at a carnival, you know, we'd have the wheel of Trump and then I would spin it and we'd go. And then, you know, we'll come up to the next topic. And, you know, I see here the next topic on the wheel of Trump, Ryan, is acting White House chief of staff Mick Mulvaney's press conference today. Um, and perhaps you could start with your thoughts about that. Um Can I just finish up one thought, though, about the Turkey situation? Sure, of course. Yeah, I- I do think there might be a significant shift taking place with the Republican Party and a disaffection with the president, and that that we shouldn't underestimate that and keep our eye on it because there's an overwhelming vote in the House yesterday. A hundred members voted to condemn it, right? Yeah. A hundred Republicans. A hundred Republicans to condemn it. And then today, uh, Mitch McConnell said that he will do a similar resolution, except he's his problem with the House resolution is that it wasn't strong enough, um, more because he has more support to actually say that the U.S. forces should be on the ground in Turkey. And then just the last part of it is, um, I also think something that should be said is one can't even agree with the world vision that the United States should not be in Syria, should be more isolationist. Uh, Rand Paul on an extreme end of the spectrum of that type of worldview, but then what Ed was saying as well, and David, what you were saying, this is a horrific way of trying to accomplish that goal because if you're going to try to deter wars, you have to have strong allies. And if you're going to be involved in wars that uh, are of no choice and you want to win them, you have to have allies that uh, believe in you and uh, built up uh, relationships of trust. How can anybody trust us in the future? And it's not just about Trump, but they might also say to themselves, if we're like one year away from a presidential election and I've got um, President Biden here, how do I know if two years from now you're not going to have another like crazy – Rand Paul constructed Trumpian um, eccentric position, and you'll just walk away from it. By the way, the I court. think yeah. U.S. policy in Syria has been handled terribly back through the Obama administration. Um, but having said all of that, there were 50 or 100 U.S. special forces in this part of Syria. Yeah. Um, they were not at high daily risk. And they were stabilizing the region. So it is actually an example of a case where you could have a limited exposure and a substantial benefit. And that's where we pulled back. And yet we have, you know, the plan is to move them into Iraq. Even as you're letting, you know, people out of ISIS prisons now, the risk is all going to go up. So uh, it does, you know, what we had illustrated something that was fairly – constructive and 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 we pulled that out right yeah yeah 100 percent um so okay i just you know the only reason i'm going on here is there's so many things to talk about and no and you're absolutely right to raise it mick mulvaney had a press conference today yes he's the acting he's been acting white house chief of staff for almost a year and he's the head of the office of management and budget um and what did he say what did Um, did you take away from it so what well before what I took away from it, apparently the Trump's legal team took away from it that they were, according to CNN, baffled. Not part, and not part of the discussion. 
that we didn't help prepare him for that. Right. Um, that they said what he had to what he said was not helpful to them. <laughs> and the Justice Department tried to disavow uh, a large part of his statement implicating A.G. Barr and the Justice Department in the quid pro quo. So, and, and in that statement, yeah. what did he say? Okay, so he said, um, one, <laughs> he said, yes, there was a quid pro quo, essentially, because that's what we do here between U.S. security assistance to Ukraine and Trump trying to get Ukraine to do an investigation on the 2016 um uh, election and the DNC hack, um, and uh, that senior uh, State Department officials have testified before Congress that they're very concerned about the politicization of U.S. national security foreign policy. This is what we do, quote unquote, get over it. <laughs> yeah, get over it. And and you know it's not a crime because we say it's not a crime, even though it's a crime. Right. Right. Uh, and he seemed to implicate the Justice Department and A.G. Barr's current investigation of the investigators as part of this um, effort with Ukraine, which then ties A.G. Barr right back into the transcript of Well, that. he implied that as soon as the transcript existed, they sent it to the Justice Department to look at it, and that's why they were holding up transferring the funds, uh, although they congressionally mandated uh, you know, appropriation of funds. They didn't actually have the right to do that. Right. Um, but the Justice Department then said, uh, no, that didn't happen. Right. Um, so, Rosa, that's not all he said. You know what else he said? He said that the G... <laughs> what else did he say? He said the G7 meeting would take place at the Trump Doral Golf Resort next year. Right. Which, uh, which is like an amazing coincidence. It's <laughs> almost like they built it for exactly this purpose, said the White House. Yeah, yeah, no, he said it was the very, the very best resort in all of America. <laughs> it's going to be in June when, according to David Farenthold of the Washington Post, occupancy at the Trump Doral has fallen to 37%. So it's kind of on hard times. Um, now, you're a constitutional, you know, uh, a specialist. You're our constitutional specialist on <laughs> Deep State Radio in any event. Um, although uh, yeah, Ryan can be the, you know, anybody, Ed can be the constitutional <laughs> specialist. But um, I think in the Constitution, when you get to the Emoluments Clause, there's actually a picture of the Trump Doral Resort. <laughs> there was the Trump Doral Resort Clause, which yeah. is often overlooked, but very specifically says the president shall not give himself a contract at his own Doral Resort Hotel for the G7. It's right in there. Yeah, it's right. It's right. It's right in there um, in the sense that this is this would seem to be wrong. Right. I mean, it would seem to be like a crime in plain sight, because what he's doing is he's taking. Well, go on. And, and this is the only place where I, I would add an asterisk to what Ed was saying earlier um, about the uh, increasingly fascistic ability of President Trump to get his minions to stand up there in public and say black is white, uh, truth is lies, et cetera. Um, yes, that is one phenomenon that we are witnessing. But the other phenomenon which, which coexists with that is Trump's astonishing ability to get others of his minions to stand up in public and simply say, yeah, we did it. So um, and then say it a little bit louder. This is the sort of, you know, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and nobody would care doubling down on that and saying, in fact, I could shoot 10 people on Fifth Avenue. In fact, I already shot them all. In fact, they're lying there bleeding to death um, uh, and just daring people to care. I, and I think that the trick, the trick here is not to try to convince people that the opposite of what is happening is what's really happening. It's simply to try to make people go, well, surely if it was a crime, they wouldn't be so brazen about it. They wouldn't admit it the way they're doing. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, so, and, and here's the really depressing thing. Um, and, and here I, I, I don't want to disagree with what Ryan said, but I, I a little bit think maybe I have to on whether this is peeling Republicans away from Trump, whether the stuff in Syria is peeling Republicans mm. away from Trump in a, in a manner that's going to have a spillover onto other impeachment-related issues. So despite the black is white and the brazenness of the numerous forms of corruption and crime uh, by the Trump administration, if you take a look at the average of Trump's approval ratings 
in the last two, three weeks when all this stuff has been breaking, they have barely changed. You know, it is not changing. The, the percentage of Americans who support impeachment has gone substantially up, mostly because Democrats who were opposed now support it. Um, only a little tiny bit because Republicans who were opposed now support it. So, so here's my fear is that, and we've talked about this before, that we're, we're at this kind of, you know, post-politics moment in the United States where, where nothing matters. The people who support Trump are going to support him no matter what. They're going to support him, you know, if he simply says, yesterday I went down to the Mint and I took some of the money and I put it in my bank account because that's what I do and it's mine. You know, they're going to, I mean, it doesn't matter. Nothing seems to budge Trump's base's support for him, um, which makes me very fearful that at the end of the day, you know, these, these, these spineless Republicans who will stand up and say black is white or just, you know, crime is fine, um, at, you know, they are at the end of the day mostly thinking of their own political skins. And as long as Trump is popular, they're not going to abandon him um, and they're not going to vote to impeach him. Uh, so, so, you know, I mean, there, we, we can still hope that the, the majority of the American public who does not like him will vote him out in 2020. But I am, I wish, I wish I, every single time Trump does something appalling, which admittedly he does every 10 minutes or so, I think to myself, no, this is really beyond the limit. This is really too much. Finally, people are going to see him for who he is. Finally, no one could possibly support him after this. And every single time, uh, nothing changes and his supporters still love him. So, well, you, well th- you do have it, you know, and I, I, I would elaborate on two, two of the points that you made, one of which is that, uh, you know, you talked about the president's reference to shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue. Uh, when he said it, you know, there were still cops around. But the, the Department of Justice, right, now, if he shot somebody on mm. Fifth Avenue, <laughs> the Department of Justice would say we've investigated and there's nothing to see here. There is no Department of Justice. There's yeah. nobody to refer the crimes to because the Department of Justice is party to the crimes. And that's not actually an overstatement in the case of the, the Ukraine case. You also made a reference to going to the Mint and stealing money. And, you know, I, I think when you were doing it, you were trying to be a little bit hyperbolically humorous, as you sometimes are. Um, but but Never. but but it is n- actually not hyperbolic. If you if you look at the amount of money that has been spent at Trump golf courses by Trump, by the U.S. military, by Mike Pence when he visited um, Scotland, um, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. This Doral instance would be another case of that. That is literally the same thing as walking into Fort Knox, picking up bricks of gold, and walking out with them and saying, I'm entitled to those because I'm the president of the United States. Ed, there is a moral failure here. And, you know, pundits and people on TV get up, you know, oh, there's a, there's, there's a moral failure here. But, you know, it, it goes much further, and I'm going to piss off a whole bunch of people by the example I'm going to give right now. But it's not just that Trump is doing all this horrible stuff, and it's not just that people aren't standing up to him, but it, it produces a creeping shift in American morality. And, and I'll give you an example that will piss everybody off, but the example is Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, I mean, nobody says Joe Biden did anything wrong. Hunter Biden goes and he gets on the board of a Ukrainian company and a Chinese company, and um, he makes a lot of money while his father is the vice president of the United States. And the Democrats are like, well, that's not as bad as Trump. He should be able to get away with it. So one of the two leading Democratic contenders is a guy who's gone out and done something that is unethical. And the Democrats are like, well, it's not unethical. It's not like, you know, doing, uh, you know, with Ivanka, you know, in this deal or that deal or Donald Trump Jr. But it's crappy. And nobody should be standing up for it. And it's a family member cashing in on the financial position of the president uh, or of the vice president of the United States. And it and and because Trump did 50 horrible things, it opens the door for other people to say, well, ignore my horrible thing. 
Yes, I mean there, there was a saying, and I can't remember the actual original Latin, but there was a saying in the second century BC, during the height of the Roman Republic, um, that in Rome everything is for sale, and this is before it starts to become, uh, you know, an imperial Rome and it loses its republic, republican character, where the Senate loses its power, and it shifts from. Um, you know, a, a, a semi-democracy or a republic at any rate into an oligarchy and then eventually an, an emperor's an emperor's domain. And I this, think this was I think we're at that undoubtedly point. this yeah. is undoubtedly the period that Trump was referring to <laughs> in terms of our lengthy yeah, ties. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, there were there were different periods. I remember Rome lasted, you know, nearly a thousand years. Um, uh, the the stage we're at, I think, in American history is that everything is for sale, um, and people know that. And after a while, they can't really distinguish between the, the sort of the quality of the transaction, that the whether it's legal or Ill- illegal, it all starts to blur. So, of course, Hunter Biden didn't do anything illegal. Uh, and I strongly suspect Jared Kushner and... Um, uh, and Ivanka and, and others are breaking the Constitution, um, and Trump is certainly breaking the monuments clause of the Constitution. But it's all kinds of blurs. Blurs. People are so cynical about politics, so cynical about politicians, um, people in public life in general, um, that Trump is able, with sort of diabolic skill, um, to, to, to turn this to, to, to his advantage. This week, we had a really good example of um, you know, a diplomat, uh, Marie Yovanovitch, who testified, you know, the one that was fired early from, uh, as ambassador to Ukraine, who testified on Monday, uh, and uh, Gordon Sondland, who testified um, on Thursday to, to, to the House. Um, Yovanovitch is a career um, foreign service officer, and she very clearly in her actions served the American people and did her best to uphold the integrity of her position and to fight against corruption in Ukraine, thereby making enemies of Trump and of corrupt actors in Kiev. Um, she she um, is what you would want from a, a civil servant. Gordon Sondland paid a million dollars to become the ambassador to the European Union, and he served one person and continues to serve one person and that is Donald Trump. Um, that is the difference between um, a job that isn't for sale and a job that is for sale. And I, 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 I can't but despair when I see how Yovanovitch is depicted in the Fox uh, News world, in the conservative entertainment complex, as an agent of the deep state, as a corrupt agent of the deep state. I cannot but feel a sort of late Roman Republic despair for what might be coming down the pike here in Washington. But, and, you know, I'm sorry to sound like what, what, you know, some people might call Trump derangement syndrome. It's a sort of, it's a term used to try and sort of get you to get you to moderate and normalize your language and say, ah, it's not that bad. Stop overreacting. We should not overreact and uh, underreact to this. This is, this is progressive, very, very dark degeneration. As I said, as I said earlier, Yeah, and it is progressive. It has happened over time. You don't have to be accused of Trump derangement syndrome on the issue of ambassadors um, uh, or ambassadorial posts going to donors. uh, During the Obama administration for a period in the first term, there were twice as many ambassadorial posts going to donors as had happened ever before. Uh, in other words, Obama had given more of those out, uh, and we've we've been drifting in this direction. And I think I'm, I'm very reluctant to put myself among those who say this is Donald Trump's genius or that's Donald Trump's genius because I think you know on net net he's an idiot. But you know there is a certain uh, animal recognition on his part that things are so corrupted and so cynical that it creates an opportunity for people like himself to behave as they would and say, but of course, that's the way things are done. Mick, that's what Mick Mulvaney said. He said, this is how foreign policy yeah. works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, You'd be a fool not to jump in and do the same thing. It, well, exactly. It's just this is, this is the way things work. Now, Ryan, Ed mentioned um, another of the sort of secret words here today uh, in terms of Gordon Sundland and 
Uh, he testified the day that we're <clears> recording <throat> this. Um, and uh, uh, Ed said that he was working for President Trump. Um, but at one point or another in his testimony, and we've seen the, uh, the, the, the official, the opening statement, 11 page opening statement that he had, um, uh, he kind of threw Trump under the bus. I mean, he said Trump directed Giuliani, you know, to do these things, to find this. He really put his finger on Trump was responsible for this thing that then Mulvaney said was a quid pro quo. Sondland was a little wobbly on that. Um, how do you rate the progress of the case against Donald Trump in this Ukraine matter uh, this week? So um, I think that the uh, it seems like the Democrats or um, Adam Schiff has, uh, if this is how it was all planned, done, planned, done this extremely well, which is to sequence the people who would come forward and state the truth, um, like Ambassador Yanovich um, and um, Fiona Hill, and pinning um, somebody like Ambassador Sondland into a corner where he's now um, working against the record of their testimony. So I think he was leaking, (laughs) or his team seemed to be leaking, some advanced information about his testimony that then doesn't appear in the written uh, part of it, even though it was like he is going to say or expected to say by those who are familiar with the statement. Um, and then it's not in there. And then what is in there is just a very bad day for Donald Trump. And I remember Axios had reported that they the Republicans thought that it would be good to call in Sondland because he might be the silver lining for the White House. He's not the silver lining. Um, so I totally agree with what you said, David, that one of the most devastating things that Sondland did was – put the finger right on Trump and say he gave the directive to senior State Department officials and ambassadors that they shall um, listen to uh, Giuliani, and Giuliani will speak on behalf of the president and convey to them his concerns and conditions for Ukraine. Um, Game over, Uh, because that means all of Giuliani's grave misdeeds in pressuring the Ukrainians to investigate Biden are tied directly to uh, President Trump. He was the agent of President Trump, and these people knew it. And actually, that's the one page I brought with me. <laughs> yeah, R- is- Ryan sat down here with typed <laughs> remarks in front of him. Uh, usually he has a formal opening statement for the podcast. Yeah, I just think that there's this one particular line in uh, Sondland's opening remarks that will probably be in the, what we'll call the Schiff Report or the impeachment report that uh, comes out of this. He says, quote, my understanding was that the president directed Mr. Giuliani's participation, that Mr. Giuliani was expressing the concerns of the president. That's it. Um, So I think that um, from the person who is supposed to be the most favorable witness to the president, uh, that's what happened today. Um, Well, you know, uh, Rosa, it seems like the Republicans have organized themselves into a formation in which they've purchased a bunch of buses and told key officials to stand in front of the bus <laughs> so that other officials could drive the buses over them. Because Mulvaney, in talking about the quid pro quo, essentially drove a bus over um, Trump, and Sondland drove a bus over Trump, but also over Giuliani. Uh, prior testimony, Fiona Hill testimony, uh, uh, the testimony of Ambassador Ivanovich also Uh, drove the bus over uh, Giuliani, but to some extent also Pompeo and saying that he was going along with this. Um, And one of the things that's happened this week is that there has been a broadening of the number of actors who, if you had a Justice Department, might be open to legal jeopardy. Uh, you know, it harkens back to the Nixon administration when Haldeman and Ehrlichman and Dean and all these other people, John Mitchell, all ended up being indicted and getting under trouble with the law. And in this case, uh, whether it's for violation of federal election um, laws because of taking something of value for a campaign um, or or for other reasons, it, it seems pretty clear that in addition to Trump, quite apart from you know whether he's indictable or not, uh, the vice president of the United States, the chief of staff, the secretary of state, the attorney general of the United States, uh, the, Trump's lawyer, 
um, the, the, the Giuliani, these peculiar Soviet born, but you know, <laughs> bagmen buddies of Trump's who, who, who sort of uh, the, the sort of the comic relief characters, um, out of a road company of, I don't know, guys and dolls or, you know, I mean, you could just sort of see them in these bad suits and whatever, um, that all these people would be indicted. But we don't have a Justice Department. You know, it's it's a yes. I I, so I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna one up you. I'm gonna raise you, one, David. Um, Let's play. Let's talk about nightmare scenarios. um, Which which I would like to think that the leading Democratic candidates are also thinking about. But but my guess is that they're probably not. Um, Let's think about what would actually. So so so, so let me back up. Right. The, the picture you painted, which I think unfortunately is, is quite accurate, is a picture of a government in which things don't work anymore. Um, for all kinds of reasons, things don't work, the chief among them being fear and corruption. Um, we already know that Congress doesn't work very well, and that is the result, among other things, of uh, uh, many decades of gerrymandering, voter suppression, not to mention a constitution that gives outsized political power to uh, essentially what has come to be in this country rural and more conservative minorities uh, through the two senators per state rule, which is which is virtually impossible to change. Um, so so for all kinds of reasons, we have a government that is not really functioning the way it should. And I have a feeling that if you could you know, contact the, the framers um, beyond the grave and say, hey, is this what you guys thought was going to happen? Um, that they would all be appalled and outraged and say things like, what's the matter with you, nincompoops? How come you didn't amend the Constitution ages ago or have another revolution or something, for God's sake, because this is a nightmare? So that, that's the backdrop, right, that we have this. We have these institutions that, that just don't work anymore. To, they don't do what they're supposed to do. Those those fabled guardrails of democracy uh, have essentially all come off. So here's here's some here's a nightmare scenario. And until a few weeks ago, I would have been in the camp of, oh come on, that's too paranoid. But I think the last couple of weeks have changed my views. Uh, nightmare scenario is um, 2020 election takes place, Trump loses, um, and he won't step down. He says, I did not lose, I won. They're lying. The people who say that I lost are lying. Um, you know, it's crooked. It's crooked Hillary all over again. They're just a bunch of liars. Lock them up. I'm not leaving. Um, what happens, right? What happens? What, what if anything, uh, does the Justice Department do? What, if anything, does the Secret Service do? What, if anything, does Congress do? You know, even if it's been, even if Democrats win both houses in the 2020 election, we already, it's been made very clear by the White House that they don't actually care, you know, that even an impeachment inquiry, they, they feel free to say, hey, that's illegitimate. We're not going to cooperate with it in any way. And, and that's my, I actually think this is something we should all be talking about a little bit um, and hearkening back to what in hindsight seems like a, a trivial little problem the election of 2000, right, with, remember, the hanging chads and uh, uh, Bush, v, Bush v. Gore, I think the Democrats got rolled in 2000 because they weren't expecting this and they didn't have a plan. Um, and my guess is that if, whether it's Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or some other Democratic candidate wins and Trump simply denies it, uh, I, I don't, at this moment, I doubt that any of the Democratic candidates have given much thought to, wait, what are you going to do if that happens? But that, I think, and that maybe is a topic for an, uh, an episode in and unto itself. But I think every American ought to be thinking about that right now because it's beginning to seem increasingly likely to me. Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to pile on to your scenario, and I'm not sure that I'm as worried about it, you know, as, 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 as you are. But I, I think it's, it, the scenario becomes more plausible if there is some, there are some overt examples of foreign meddling, uh, of, uh, whether it's uh, you know, uh, you know how Trump's case would be so much stronger if a few polling places the numbers didn't tally up, mm. if few places the numbers disappeared, 
Uh, you don't have to. You, you you don't have to just have disinformation campaign. You, yeah. you could just and that may well happen. Right. And right? I mean, we have a sprawling, decentralized, messy voting system to begin with, so that certainly is is possible. Right. Okay. So I'm going to give another nightmare scenario, Ed. The other nightmare scenario, and I you know I'm not going to you know choose between them right now. The other nightmare scenario is this. That over the course of the next couple of weeks, this Ukraine case gets worse and worse and worse. Um, that in fact, uh, 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 it becomes quite clear that the American people think the president should be removed. Uh, you know, we're already at fifty-two percent of the American people supporting impeachment and removal, uh, which is roughly the level that we were at when Nixon resigned. Uh, and if it goes up a few more points over the next few weeks, you could end up with the the, the Republican leadership saying, "Uh-oh, we're going to get fucked in a year. We we're going to lose this election in a in a year because this is just going to get worse and worse." And by the way, Donald Trump is nuts. And all you had to do was watch Donald Trump on Wednesday of this week with the Italian president, who several times he referred to as President Mozzarella. Um, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, and you, and you think, no, he's, he's actually nuts. I mean, you know, if we were another country at another time, we would actually be having discussion about the mental health of the president of the United States, but Trump's not the only problem in the United States. And this is something we've been getting at as a sub theme throughout here. There is, you know, we talk a lot about the deep state. There is also the deeply corrupt state. There is also the part of the United States government that benefits from Citizens United and gives tax breaks to billionaires and ends up with aluminum plants in you know, Mitch McConnell's home state. And a lot of people are going to have their oxen gored by Donald Trump if things continue the way that they are. And another scenario is Donald Trump gets tossed under the bus by Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump, you know, the, the Republican Party says, you got to go. And they come up with a Mike Pence or they come up with an alternative. And we keep in place this incredibly corrupt state that produces the likes of Mitch McConnell and Bill Barr. You know, today there was another federal judge approved who was rated unfit for the, the, the judgeship so that they can keep pumping out bad judges, bad laws, self-dealing, um, and, and, and we say, well, it was all Trump, but it wasn't actually all Trump. What, what do you think of that? Ed? No, it wasn't actually all, all Trump. I mean, I know people who are you know, on the left who um, I think very unwisely um, um, welcomed Trump because Trump heightened the contradictions. Trump is the full expression. It's the move from the dog whistle to the bullhorn. Um, that he's the logical consequence of um, 40 years of, you know, a plutocratic party trying to distract the electorate with with other issues, cultural and racial. Um, uh, but I don't accept that. I don't accept that that, that Trump is therefore a good thing. Um, uh, I think we've discussed before, um, you know, that there is this debate going on amongst the Democratic candidates, most notably between Biden, who sees Trump as an aberration, and Warren, who sees Trump um, it, it, Trump as a, as, as a deep problem, but as a symptom rather than rather than this jack in the box that appeared from nowhere. Um, and I think I, I think Warren's analysis is correct. Um, I think after Trump, you could get you could get somebody like you know Tom Cotton, um, who's a far more sane, balanced, rational actor, um, but who's able to carry out um, the program Trump is is pushing in a far more efficient form. Uh, so I don't think the removal of Trump would be would be the end of the problem. I think though um, that if Trump is impeached and he is not convicted in the Senate and then goes on to win in 2020, then we're in, then, then we're in a, you know, a, a really dramatic situation where he, go, he thinks, oh, they can impeach me. It's, it's barely, barely like a mosquito bite. I, I can just sort of brush this off. Um, there, are no, there are no limits now. There are no guardrails. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with the premise of your question. Just one other thing. Um, 
Attorney General Barr's speech at Notre Dame University oh, uh, last week, in which he talked about the secularist assault on true America, on religious America, uh, that, that we are a minority uh, religious true Americans. Um, and the revelation, which I wasn't aware of, but that doesn't surprise me for a moment, that Barr is a member of Opus Dei, um, uh, does does give you um, a sense of the uh, of the the mindset um, behind Trump. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of ostensibly deeply religious people who are essentially um, just posher versions of nativists. You know, he might not, um, Barr might not, you know, have a mallet and a Confederate flag sort of flying off his pickup truck. And I don't think he has a pickup truck. Um, but what he is, what he said in that speech at Notre Dame was, as I say, it was just posh nativism. Uh, and uh, there, there, there are a lot of those behind Trump. No, indeed there are. I mean, uh, the homepage of... Uh... The State Department had a speech on Christian leadership on it for all of last week from Secretary Pompeo. Uh, Mike Pence walked out of the meeting with Erdogan and gave remarks about uh, how this, you know, prayer and, and you know, sort of went into this whole sort of Christian litany. And I'm not going to call it, you know, Christo-fascism, as some people on the Internet are doing, but it's, it's, it's theo-nationalism. It's it's something very very um, dark that lurks in the background, and it it makes me more concerned about the Mitch McConnells um, and the Bill Bars. And remember, Bill Barr. You know, there were a lot of people that we know who were were you know saying, "Oh, Bill Barr is an institutionalist. He's you know he's one of the good guys." Um, you know, who who survive president to president and deepen our woes in this. We've only got five minutes. Oh, and by the way, yeah. by the way, sorry to interrupt, but people are also saying that now um, about John Roberts, about Chief Justice Roberts. I mean, you know, our hopes having been dashed by Mueller and then having been dashed by Jim Mattis, and presumably they're going to be dashed by Mitt Romney, we're moving on to, we're moving on to John Roberts as the institutionalist who will save, save us mm. with this hour of need. Yeah, no, and we've been we've been let down by all of them this week again by 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 Mattis. We've got five minutes, Ryan. We've covered only four giant issues mm-hmm. um, that have taken place in the course of the past you know twenty four hours, uh, but a lot of other stuffs happened this week. And I would like to give you one minute, and I give the same to Rosa and same to Ed to bring up any other story from the past week that you think, or the past couple of days that you think is worthy of comment. Um, I guess, but we've touched on it. I guess the so this disagrees with something that I think maybe Rosehead said. The Republican opinion in favor of impeachment, I think, is a significant undercurrent. Um, so I was just getting up on my phone. The uh, this is on the day before um, Trump's statement allowing um, Turkey carte blanche green light into Syria. The Washington Post poll that ended on that same do- same day had 30% of Republicans in favor of an impeachment inquiry and about 20% of Republicans in favor of impeachment and removal. I think that's extraordinary. Um, so I think – and that's before all the testimony that we talked about. That's before the atrocities that are happening now in um, Syria. Um, so I think that's something that's a huge um, piece of what's going on and maybe will shift um, in the next – time we meet again for the podcast. Uh, yeah. And by the way, uh, apropos of your point, um, uh, Lisa Murkowski, Republican senator from Alaska, was asked today mm. about the quid pro quo, and she said inappropriate, asked about the Doral thing, and was that okay? And she just said no. Uh, Mitt Romney stood up and mm. made a statement. Uh, Marco Rubio made another statement. You know, Lindsey Graham's been on both sides of this, but, you know, We've seen some movement. Um, yeah, well, he's, you know, uh, he's, he's a strange creature. But anyway, Rosa, pick another story from the week we ought to, we ought to be thinking about. Well, I mean, on, on this one, I, 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 hope, I hope you and Ryan are right. Um, very much hope so. But I'm, I'm 
we have been disappointed before. Well, said, uh, no, no. Well, and um, I'll give you an example, by the way, of being disappointed before that I've th- that I've thought about a little bit, just to throw it out there. John Yu, mm. the the uh, legal genius of the Bush administration, who okayed torture, uh, went on TV today or yesterday, and he said something to the effect of. It is inappropriate to impeach a president in the final year of his term because there's an election coming up. Uh, this is the McConnell uh, argument that, that that was made about the Supreme Court uh, three and a half years ago. Um, I pointed out fairly quickly that um, the first time we impeached a president was Andrew Johnson, and it was in 1868. It was an election year. Um, but, but apropos of your point, Rosa— Andrew Johnson's impeachment, which was incredibly fraught and very, very much like Donald Trump's. He was abusive to the Congress. They had a terrible relationship. Um, Played out a little bit like that Daniel Day-Lewis movie, Lincoln, where behind the scenes, everybody was like trying to get that one vote. And um, uh, the uh, Democrat, I guess, uh, Johnson was Republican, and so he you, you needed something like thirty five Democratic votes, or or t- something like that, and he got one less than he needed. Uh, setting the number aside, there was a lot of behind the scenes, and that was disappointing. It, <laughs> <laughs> and David is still disappointed, and I'm still disappointed. I was a kid; I watched it at home, um, but. Uh, <laughs> No, but but I mean, but the point is, you're absolutely right. You know, the 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 bar for impeaching and removing a president is incredibly high. Yeah, no, and I, I well, this isn't another news story, but this is just uh, to say something that I hope is already crushingly obvious to our listeners. But just in case, um, all of this nonsense about how impeachment is somehow anti-democratic or is trying to overturn the results of the election is is nuts. Um, Congress is not like the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is a an anti-majoritarian institution. You know, it is it is an anti-democratic. It is a counterweight to the other branches of government. But, you know, number one, um, it's hardly anti-democratic for if we believe that Congress, in fact, represents the American people, which, as I said a few minutes ago, we, we might doubt. But but if that's what your claim is, then you can hardly say that a constitutional remedy given to the, represent, the elected representative of the people is somehow anti-democratic and we should wait for the election. That, this doesn't make any sense. And the notion that impeachment is overturning the election makes even less sense. If impeachment overturned the election, then impeachment would result in Hillary Clinton becoming president, not Mike Pence, for God's sake. Um, so it's just it's just absurd. Those arguments are silly and don't make sense. The issue, of course, that we haven't talked about that I would like to bring up, but I know we don't have time, so we'll have to be uh, left to next week, is, is of course, Ed Luce's favorite issue, Brexit, uh, where there may or may not be a deal, which may or may not get through Parliament. Um, and that is probably also worthy of discussion. That, and, and I think it, you know, one, it, it, one of the things that is so interesting about Brexit, interesting slash appalling, Slash, interesting <laughs> about Brexit, uh, and in fact the the Supreme Court decision in Spain about the Catalan independence movement and these stiff sentences, um, you know, it really raises all these fascinating questions about under what circumstances can groups of people, states or societies within states, uh, say, hey, we're done here, we don't want to be part of this whole anymore, we're we're leaving. Um, which increasingly feels like uh, something that's likely to become a live issue for the United States, given the incredible polarization of the American voting public as well. So that whole cluster of issues, I think, is worth talking about. Absolutely. I would say listeners to a podcast. We could have our own state. Rosa. Right. You, well, we you, the deep state. We have the deep state. state. We have a name and you could be the president, Rosa, or or the queen. I already am the president, David. Exactly. Well, exactly. Well, I yeah. I'm sorry to to reveal the top secret that you are the president of the deep yeah. state. But shh. Shh. but you know we can we can secede if things get bad. Everybody, we will get together and the deep state will secede. And next week we'll talk about Brexit a little more length. Do you want to talk about it for sixty seconds right now? Uh, but I'll I'll just 
just say that we'll 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 know um we'll know over the weekend they're gonna have a super Saturday, as they call it, parliamentary sitting where Boris's deal's gonna be voted on. Um and uh, I won't uh, I wouldn't dare give any predictions, but um it is interesting to see that this deal he's come up with, which draws the customs border between in the Irish Sea, so therefore keeps the Good Friday Agreement intact, is being denounced by the Democratic Unionist Party in Northern Ireland, the hardline Protestants, and by the Brexit Party in England, Nigel Farage's bunch, um, which makes Boris, in their eyes, the latest to betray the British sovereignist revolution. Um, so, um, it's going to be extremely interesting if, if um, a wish were father to the thoughts, then um, uh, those, if Boris will have to try to persuade moderates to vote for this, including some of the conservatives he expelled, the rebels. Um, and if they attach the condition that it be put back to the people with a yes, no, no being Britain remains in the European Union, then, you know, Maybe it's a bit like you know wishing Mitt Romney would you know run against Trump in the primaries, but uh, if if there is something to hope for, that would be the scenario. I make no predictions though. Well, we'll see. We'll see where that goes next week. And of course, there are other things that happened this week. Uh, you know, ProPublica came out with a, 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 a an analysis of Trump's tax records, which uh, seemed to show fraud. Um, you know, different reporting to the state as different as opposed to reporting to. Uh, fi- financial firms and investors about his properties. And in any other world, that's all we would be talking about this week, and we can barely squeeze it in this week. And finally, the 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 point I'd I'd make, and we'll 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 save it for some future discussion, uh, is that you know another thing that happened quite interestingly this week is there was a Democratic debate, and mm. the targeted front runner in that debate was Elizabeth Warren. It wasn't Joe Biden. We've learned that Joe Biden has actually had a pretty hard time raising money, was very substantial sums of money behind uh, people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, I I think he had a pretty lousy performance in the debate this week. Uh, But one thing that I did notice on this Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere, is that the never Trumpers you know, who are like, you know, hey, Dems, I'm your friend now because I don't like Trump anymore. Um, So listen to me, are all unifying saying, if you don't pick Biden, it's a terrible mistake. You know, all the all the never Trumpers are like, oh, you you don't want to get too Democratic, you know, because then you'll piss us off. And how will you do this without us? And like, you know, some of those never Trumpers have been you know, on the far side of the right. Uh, some of them still are, you know, George Conway, uh, the, 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 the wife of Kellyanne Conway gave money this week to Joe Walsh, you know, at, you know, nut job Republican option. And it's, it's, you know, it's, I think one of the things that's going to be interesting as we get closer to the election is remembering that the never Trumpers, they're actually Republican. <laughs> and some of them are pretty right wing Republican and they want to maintain the status quo. They want to maintain what I would posit is this deeply corrupt state um, that uh, that both centrist Dems and the Republicans have have played a role in, in in advancing. But we'll talk about that later. And I know the range of views and we'll make sure we've got a range of views around the table uh, for now. That's been a pretty full discussion. And I am so delighted that we had to have that discussion. Ryan and Rosa and Ed, um, the best of the best. And I, I, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you'll come back next week for more of this. We had a good discussion, by the way, earlier this week on a special pod with Representative Jim Himes uh, of Connecticut, who is a member of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence on the impeachment process. He's a very smart guy. It was a really good discussion. I know the podcast has done pretty well. But if you haven't listened to it, that's one of the special ones you want to go to. We'll have a couple more of those. We're going to try every week or so to have a member of Congress or a senator or somebody else who's in the midst of this thing for special editions of Deep State Radio. Go to the DSR Network um, uh, to uh, to find those if you haven't found them. Uh, register, and we'll send you updates. All you have to do is go to the DSRnetwork.com. You don't have to buy anything. You just register. 
and you can get updates from us on what we've got coming. And uh, if you want to become a member, you know, nothing's stopping you. Uh, anyway, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Rosa. And thank you, Ed. Thank you, David. Okay, guys. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.